1 Kings chapter 21, and I'd like to begin with verse number 1. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And I want to preach tonight on this little thought. Please don't sell the farm. Please don't sell the farm. Let's ask God to anoint His Word in our hearts to receive it. Oh, God, would you help us tonight? Lord, I know that I'm nothing. Oh, God. I'm nothing. I need your help tonight. Lord, please challenge every young soul in this building tonight. Please do a work in this house. God, touch our hearts. Oh, Lord, oh, Mosadadabakai. Let the glory of another world come down in this tabernacle. Jesus, I need you so much right now. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me for the reading of the Word of the Lord. <clears throat> the uh, area where I pastor in Weld County, Colorado, Greeley is the city. It is the largest agricultural area, county, in the state of Colorado. We have uh, plains and some rolling foothills and uh, rich, fertile, dark soil that's been farmed for ages and ages. Uh, Historic farms, silos. When I moved to Greeley a little over 12 years ago, there were uh, huge farms and old, rustic, silos and barns and farmhouses and you could see where somebody that uh, that owned the farm you could see where their helpers live their their servants or their their uh, help their uh, houses and the trees that were planted long ago and all throughout uh, our county uh, around our church area even out in that area there are uh, crops of corn and wheat, sugar beets, carrots, lettuce, alfalfa, potatoes, cabbage. Just fertile ground. And there are three tributaries of water that come down the, the Poudre River, the Platte, and the Big Thompson come down from the high country. And the snow melt begins in the spring. And there are various reservoirs and lakes, and they they get the river runoff water and they irrigate their farms. Without the snow, there would be absolutely no hope for raising a crop in Colorado. And then uh, throughout the years, you can see in 
this uh, in the farm country, all throughout uh, the region of our county. The, from these rivers, there are canals, and then from the canals, there are ditches, some as wide as this platform is, others uh, much smaller as they branch off and hit farms, and then the runoff takes back into the canal and carries it down to the next farm. And, and you can see floodgates that were established years and years ago. Uh, there's a lot of history to these old farms. And a trend was taking place about the time that I moved to Greeley that was uh, bothering the county so much that they began to pass laws and regulations for property exemptions because farmers began, uh, as the industry began taking off our boom some 10 or 12 years ago, farmers began selling off their farms and they began to just uh, sell to developers and you would see grade stakes going in. You'd wonder why didn't they plant their field this year and all of a sudden it wouldn't be long uh, popping right up out of the ground. You'd see these grade stakes as far as your eye could see just rolling hills of nothing but marked grade stakes. And it wouldn't be long before earth moving equipment would come in and road graders and there would be curb and gutter and sidewalks and and they would be putting in all of this development and then just seem like overnight houses going up. Just as far as the eye could see as you come in to Greeley, you can see houses, just developments going up everywhere. And these large historic farms that had been there for hundreds of years were being broke up and the old silo was being torn down and the barns were being torn down. And uh, you would see the equipment coming in, and that's how I acquired that 28 acres there just six miles north of where I live. There was a man there named Mike Freeman, and uh, another friend of mine by the name of Gary uh, Whitman is a farmer there where I live. And I bought the property from Mike Freeman, and he was breaking it off. And uh, I, asked, uh, I asked Mike, I, I just said, uh, you know, why why did you sell the farm? And why is all... They broke it off into several pieces. And, and uh, you know, we were out there that day and he was showing me how to use those tubes that you put in those, those ditches to get that siphon, that water siphoned and going. And as that water began to just go off into that dry, parched soil, he said, that's, that's part of the reason right there. He said, I'm just tired of fighting. I'm tired of fighting the elements, and I'm tired of fighting the weeds, and I'm tired of fighting the pests, and I'm tired of fighting the, uh, the, 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 the uh, soaring prices of equipment and the unpredictability of crop prices, and I'm, I'm tired of fighting the mechanics of it all. And, and just about the time the corn gets up and we get a good head start, here comes a big thunderhead dropping uh, vicious hail out of the heavens and and there goes our corn, and there goes the early frost comes in and, and kills the lettuce. And, and what we thought we had as a crop, now we can't even sell because the frost has killed and wilted the lettuce. And uh, the heat and, and, and the, the pest control and the herbicides and all of the, the, the soaring outrageous prices, and it's just not worth fighting anymore. And this trend began to to take place in such a vast uh, uh, happening that the county said, we're not going to let you break it off. 
Because they were finding out it was so much easier for them to sell off their land. And uh, you, could, uh, you could tell that, that uh, they were all taking advantage of it. It wouldn't be long before you'd see these farmers driving down the road in their new Cadillacs. And they're headed to the golf course. They had a tea time at 9 o'clock. And they're out there in their Bermuda shorts and their golf shoes. And they're teeing off. And uh, they've already gathered in all the families. Because these farmers, uh, they have large families. They were raised in the farming business. And, and uh, their grandparents and their grandparents had raised large families. And they'd have to call them all in, of course, and begin to sell their idea that this is really going to be best for the family. And uh, you, you really don't need to worry yourself about it. We've been in this farm. We've been fighting the elements and we've been fighting the weather and you, you don't understand the, the, the prices of equipment and, and, and the government's not helping us out as much as they're used to anymore. And uh, this, is, this is going to be easier for you kids. And, and there before, uh, be, they're in that living room or a little counseling session at the dinner table. An entire way of life for generations is about to come to a swift end. And there in that little counseling session, they are forgetting. Many times these farms are not sold till somebody's died. Because it's just not easy to convince some of the old timers that it's the right thing to do. It's the new generation that just doesn't feel like it makes sense to hold on to it anymore. The old timers are now dead in the grave and they don't have a voice. But if they had a voice, they'd be questioning why they're tired in their new John Deere tractor with air conditioning. CD players. Their big white tractors, diesel tractors. That have lights on them. And they, they learned how to cultivate that same field by their grandfather. And they learned how to do it behind a team of mules. And they learned how to do it all day long in 96 and 97 degree temperature. And uh, from the time they were old enough to follow granddad behind a team of mules and hold on to the reins, grandpa showed them what it was like to feel the tug of those trained Belgians. And they learned how to keep it between the rows. And now here they are with all of the modern technology complaining about weeds and complaining about weather. And somewhere or another down throughout history, those old pioneers that bought those fields, those historic farms, and all the neighbors pulled together and built those silos, they are standing as statues of working together in hard times. And when a man could, uh, could count on another man's word, it was a way of life. And if somebody's house burned down, they all came and pitched in. And they all helped them build. And if they had a barn erecting uh, or a barn standing, they all came and brought food. And they all cooked out underneath the, the oak tree. And they all pitched in. And it was a way of life. And one of the things that kept those old timers going, one of the things that kept them trying to save the farm, many of those old timers fought in the World War. And uh, they, they literally sent their their penny any checks back 
from foreign soil to save the old farm. Amen. Many of them worked extra jobs in the winter trying to save the farm. But uh, mama's out washing all the clothes by hand with a washboard. She's, uh, she's learned how to cook and swat flies at the same time. There's a way of life involved in all of those old farms. The old oak tree and the swing set that sits underneath it that these modern children are swinging under have no idea what it took mom and dad after working all day in the fields, washing their clothes and feeding the kids and putting them to bed. They had no idea what it took them, but there was a reason to go on. And that reason was simply this. We're not doing this for ourselves, honey. We're not buying this property for ourselves. And we're not keeping it paid for for ourselves. But one day, when we're old and gray-headed and our hands are callous, amen, our children are going to have something to pass down to their children. And it will not die. It's going to stay in the family. It's going to stay in our family throughout generation after generation. And so they would feverishly weather the storm. And they would weather the adversities. And there were many adversities. But all of a sudden, here comes the year 2000. And a new ideology and a new way of thinking has arrived with it. The Enrons and the Martha Stewarts and the, the society that just sells out for their own personal gratification. We are living in a day that doesn't understand sacrifice. We're living in a day where they want immediate gratification. A selfish generation, if you please, that has nothing in mind but right now. And what can I do for me? I want instant gratification. And so while these old timers that toiled that they might pass down these farms from one generation to another, raised up their children, taught them how to weather the storm, taught them how to go on when they were tired. And I'm telling you, those old farmers know how to work. And it's so ingrained and instilled in their spirit that there's an old farmer I talked to about goose hunting up far, uh, up the country from where I live. And the man still farms with oxygen in his nose. He can barely get around, but he still climbs up in that tractor. And he's still with oxygen in his nose and a tank up there in the cab. He still farms that ground. Still driving the old Chevy pickup with 200 and something thousand miles on it. They just know what sacrifice is. They just know how to save a, a, a pinch of penny to death because they realize we're not doing it for ourselves. We're going to pass it on down the road to another generation. Not far from where I live, where I elk hunt, there's a canyon called the Buckhorn Canyon. There's a little creek, Buckhorn Creek, that runs up this canyon. You go down a paved road until uh, it comes to an end and becomes a dirt road. There's a fork there. and You take the Buckhorn Canyon Road up 30 miles. You just stay on that gravel road. Winding turns, winding up the mountain. 
And if you stay on that thing, all of a sudden you're at 9,200 feet or so. And uh, there is a big high mountain meadow. And there in that meadow some years ago when I started hunting in this country, I noticed a little cabin. And there was an old lady. I don't know how old she was. But uh, she was real old. And she wore a bonnet. And she was out hanging clothes. She had wood stacked there on her porch. No running water. It was a well. No electricity. She heated her house by wood fire. And that woman and her sister lived there until her sister died, and she finally died there. It is now known as the Dickerson Homestead. Old man Dickerson built that home and homesteaded that property many years ago. It is now National Forest all around him. And they wanted it back so bad when she died. And the government came in and said, this is now ours. Because the only way the homestead exemption can remain in place is somebody still has to live on this property. Or we're pulling it in and taking it out of homestead, it's going to become National Forest. She had, the old lady had, a niece that is in her 70s. And her and her husband, I think his name is Earl, or Herb. I think it's Herb. And uh, I was up there one day. I noticed uh, they, they, uh, they were out there. There was a gasoline-run concrete mixer, and there was a pickup truck there with some boards on it. And I, I said, uh, how, y'all, how you doing? My name's Danny Purdue. I hunt up here. I, there, was a, there was an old lady that used to live here. Oh, that was my aunt. Oh, is that right? Yes, she died uh, a couple years ago, and uh, we're, you know, we're, uh, we're going to build a house here. I said, you're kidding me. Yeah, we're going to build a house here because the government wants to take this property, and the only way that we can keep it in our family is somebody has to live here. You and your husband are going to build a house here. said, I sure hope I have what you have when I'm 70 years old. Oh, she said, we're fighters. I watched them as they toiled and poured those footers in that meadow. As he began to put the lumber and build and frame up that house. And just last week I was up there. And there was a garden and the spring comes out with a little hose to water that little garden, and there was lettuce, and there was uh, romaine lettuce and, and onions, and they're still living there, working. There's just something in them old-timers. Something called grit. Something called stubbornness. Something called guts. We're not giving up what our ants... Had, we're not giving it up. We're not going to let it go out of the family. Uncle Sam or no Uncle Sam, we're going to build a house and we're going to keep it in the family. Oh, my friend, that is nothing but 
remnants of a generation that's all but in the ground tonight. But in this apostolic truth, there needs to be something in us that realizes that we're not in this for ourselves. There is more involved in what we're doing here tonight than just immediate gratification. This isn't about immediate gratification. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Please be seated. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, this guy named Naboth was a fighter. As a matter of fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 7, it tells us that the sons of Issachar, and by the way, Naboth came from the tribe of Issachar. And the Bible says in verse 2 of 1 Chronicles chapter 7, they were valiant men of might. And in verse 4 it says, they were bands of soldiers for war. In verse 5 of 1 Chronicles 7 it says, their brethren among all the families of Issachar were valiant men of might. And so uh, Ahab was picking on the wrong dude. He just was pick, barking up the wrong tree because he thought Naboth would just roll over and say, well, if that's what the king wants, then that's what the king will get. But Naboth came from that old breed. Naboth came from a long line of fighters. And Naboth just planted his feet that day in his vineyard. Looked old Ahab right in the eyes and said, God forbid that I should sell the inheritance of my father. If you follow the story, you will realize that it cost him his life. The dogs licked the blood of Naboth. And that's about all I'm going to preach about that part of it. But that'll preach. That old wicked Ahab and his hussy of a wife Jezebel got their due reward. As I looked at this verse of Scripture, something just didn't seem quite right. The Bible says in our text, Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab. And if you look, into Naboth's response to the king's appeal. You will find that Naboth was not being rude, nor was he being offensive or hard to get along with. He was just doing what he had to do. Don't feel sorry for me. I cannot sell the inheritance of my fathers. God forbid. 
that's exactly what God did. He forbade it. Because in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 18, God says to the children of Israel, Wherefore ye shall do my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land in safety, and the land shall yield her fruit, and ye shall eat your fill, and dwell therein in safety. And if ye shall say, What shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow, nor gather in our increase. Then I com will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years. Ye shall sow the eighth year, and eat of old fruit until the ninth year. Until her fruits come in, ye shall eat of old store. The land, verse 23, shall not be sold forever. For the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me, God said. It was God in Ezekiel 20, verse 5 and 6, reminding them of bringing them out of Egypt. He said, in the day that I lifted up my hand unto them, to bring them forth of the land of Egypt into a land that I had aspired for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. God thought too much of His land. He told them, I'm giving it to you, my people, but ye shall not sell the land forever. And that is why the old Naboth said, God forbid that I should sell the inheritance of my father. If you look in the book of Numbers 36, you will find in verse 1, the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph came near, and they spake before Moses. And before the princes and the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord to give the land for an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zelophehad, our brother, unto his daughters. And if they be married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel... Then shall their inheritance be taken from the inheritance of our fathers and shall be put to the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall it be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the children of Israel shall be, then shall their inheritance be put under the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall their inheritance be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our father. And Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of the sons of Joseph hath said well. This is the thing which the Lord doth command concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry to whom they think best, only to the family of the tribe of their father shall they marry. So 
Ghost shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel removed from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And in verse 9 it says, Neither shall the inheritance removed from one tribe to another, but every one of the tribes of the children of Israel shall keep himself to his own inheritance. Do you get the point? Ye shall keep yourself to your inheritance. That is the command of the Lord. It shall not be sold forever. So Naboth said, now look king, I'm not trying to get rough and tough and mean. I'm not trying to be hard to get along with. Fact is, it's not for sale. Amen. No can do. God said I can't do it. God said I've got to keep myself to my inheritance. You better find you another piece of real estate, Big Daddy, because this piece of property is in the family, and I'm not selling out. And oh, the Bible says that Naboth the Jezreelite had a piece of ground hard by the palace. And life was hard. Why in the world should I even have to be asked such a question? I am where God put me. I was born here. My daddy was born here. His daddy was born here. His daddy was born here. Let me do what God's told me to do. You're going to sell. You're going to sell. You're going to sell me that vineyard. I want that vineyard. When you look a little further into this story, there's enough hidden there to make anybody that's got any dose of Holy Ghost a tad bit upset. You see, Naboth was under strict ordinance to hold on to what God gave to him. And if you look at the distribution of those lots, in the book of Joshua, if you would turn there with me, to chapter 19, verse 17. The fourth lot came to Issachar. For the children of Issachar, according to their families, and their border was toward Jezreel. Naboth was of the tribe of Issachar. And that is why his vineyard was in Jezreel. 
But if you look at Ahab, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Ahab was a Benjamite. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 7 with me just a moment. 1 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 6 says, The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Beecher, and Jediel. Three. And verse 8 says, And the sons of Beecher were Zemara, Joash, Eleazar, Elioniah, and Omri. Remember Omri. Go to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse number 28. So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab, his son, reigned in his stead. So we can clearly see that Ahab's father was Omri. And Amri's father was Beecher. And Beecher's father was Benjamin. And that puts Ahab in the tribe of Benjamin. And if you read God's distribution of lots, you go to Joshua chapter 18. I could read many verses here, but I don't have time. So we'll just read a couple. Joshua 18. And verse 11, this is the distribution of the lots to the different various tribes of Israel. In Joshua 18, verse 11, the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families. And the coast of their lot came forth between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. It goes on and talks about their border was on the north side was from Jordan. And the border went up to the side of Jericho on the north side. And went up through the mountains westward. And the goings out thereof were at the wilderness of Bethaven. And on and on and on and on it goes. Talking about the various points of reference to what identified and signified their boundaries were. But if you look once again in verse 11, the, the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families. And the coast of their lot came forth between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. Ahab, that's where your inheritance is. Between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. That's where God put you. And God put Naboth over there with the sons of Issachar. At the field of Jezreel. All of a sudden, the death of Naboth. And all the confrontation and pressure and stress. This does not make sense. What's going on? 
of Lot. He's between Judah and Joseph. came 
politics destroyed him. Cut his throat. This should have never happened. This should have never happened. This wasn't supposed to be this way. He was safe in his boundaries. He was where God put him. This isn't a battle he should have had to face. It's enough to face these locusts. It's enough to face the drought. It's enough to face the pestilence every year. It's enough to try to predict when to put the seed in the ground. It's enough to predict the hail. It's enough to keep rebounding when everything is going against me. I just have to keep rebounding because granddad did and his daddy did. I know I can because they did it. They suffered the locusts. The wind beat against their face. Their hands were callous. I can do it too. They got through it, and so can I. They worked the soil, and so can I. But now, here comes a battle. They never imagined they'd have to face here daddy I don't, I don't know how to explain this to you this is a battle they should have never had to face but Naboth knew why he was facing it the kids may have never known but Naboth knew and it was part of the reason why he just stared the devil in the eye and said you know why? The only way this scenario could have even taken place somebody in the family had to have sold out. That's the only way this scenario could have even come to because Ahab had no border in Jezreel. I beg you not to do it, cuz. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired. I, I, I want to go down by the river. I'm selling the farm. I got tea time at 9 o'clock. I'm through with farming. We're going to put the money in CDs, stock market. This guy's grandpa, his daddy, they fought, this thing goes back, they fought savage Indians. They homesteaded this. They, you, don't, you don't realize what you're selling. Somebody sold out. That's the only way he could have got Ahab for a neighbor. I beg you not to sell. 
Please don't sell. You're going to affect every one of us if you sell. You're going to affect our fellowship. You're going to affect our family. You're going to affect my children. You're going to affect your children. You're going to affect all of the ties that we have. Don't sell. Don't sell. For God's sake, don't sell the farm. You don't realize how life's going to change for us. There's going to be a stranger living next door. It never intended to be that way. God never intended it to be that way. Please don't sell. know who the bad guy is? It's that Mr. Naboth. You devil. You mean spirit. Right, right down the road from our church, there used to be nothing but cornfields, wheat fields. And there are still farms in the surrounding areas of our town that are still holding out. Huge farms where some of the generations of children have sold out. And oh, those shark-infested developers. <laughs> oh, they were there to drop the money on the table. And just about the time it got through the planning committee, those flags were going in. And the earth-moving equipment was there. And a feedlot. And right next door, they're putting in a lock gated community. Here comes the Hummers, the, the Mercedes. Oh, yeah. You can see them mamas shining long before you get to look in their eyes. Them big old diamond earrings are glowing in the sunshine. And they're chasing down that old smoking Chevy pickup where that old farmer in the sweat bead on his old hat and his hands are calloused and rugged and rough and the wrinkles on his face and he's out there checking his dairy operation and that old hussy pulls up next to him and says, Can you do something about this owner? There is a preacher in my church, a lay minister in our church, Brother McGuire, and he works for the city. Guess what department he works in? Odor control. He works in odor control. And it's non-stop in the summer when those south winds and those uh, uh, winds begin to shift. Here come all them old rich gated community folks. We can't stand this owner. You're going to have to take this place somewhere else. You old mean geezer, get your stinky old cows out of here. Lady, my grandpa farmed this before you ever rolled into town. I ain't doing nothing different than I've been doing for 
praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. Now he's the bad guy. You know why he's the bad guy? Because he's not selling out. I'm not for sale. God forbid. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to live apostolic in this hour, you need to get this message in your gut. Oh, Lord, sit down. I want to preach. That was my intro. If you're going to live for God in this world, you're going to have to adjust your thinking and realize some things. That you don't have a bad spirit. You're not being hard to get along with. You're just living the way you've been taught to live. And this is the way it's been for a long, long time. I don't have a bad spirit. I'm not trying to stir up a fight with you. But this fight ain't for sale. Now you're a bad guy. You're too raw. You're too crude. Uh, you're, you're trouble in Arizona. I'm telling you, I'm not trouble. You're the one creating the trouble. I'm still preaching what I've been preaching 30 years. I'm still preaching what I started off preaching. You're the one that's got the trouble. I am where God put me. I am where God put me. I ain't preaching nothing different. I'm still preaching what I was preaching 20 years ago. I hadn't changed nothing. Hadn't got harder. Hadn't got weaker. I'm just preaching what I've been preaching all these years. What is your problem, ma'am? I'm telling you, this is my this is the farm, and you're the one that you're the one that moved over here. The fact is, this problem is not this woman. The problem isn't the woman. The problem isn't the neighbor. The problem was the consciousless relative, blood kin. That was tired of fighting and wanted instant gratitude. He's making life hard on me. He's making life hard on me. And I'm not doing one thing different than I've been doing. He's making life hard on me. This hard living here by the palace of Ahab. But you know what? I ain't selling. So come on, adversity. I'm going to preach it harder than I've ever preached it. Because it's the same message. It's the same God. I still got a dedication and a consecration. I ain't changing. So let the chips fall where they may. Come on. Let's go, devil. I'm willing to die for this farm. I said I'm willing to die for this farm. I ain't selling for you or nobody else. Amen. I'm the bad guy because I still preach against television. Because the filth and the prostitution. 
few things in my preaching. DVD and internet. I have added a few things. But it's still got the same voice and sound behind it. Amen. Come ye out from among the world and be ye a separate people. Flee from the very appearance of evil. Set no wicked thing before thine eyes. I have made a covenant with my eyes. The love of Christ constraineth me. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, I still love him. I still love him. Herein is the love of God. When we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous, I still love Him, and I'm still having the time of my life. This farm is not for sale. This farm is not for sale. This farm is not for sale. Well, Naboth went to his grave. some splits in your skirt. What's a little old split in a skirt? It's a whole lot of people has got carnality on their mind. It ain't nothing for a child of God to take a needle and thread and just sew that little thing up. But it's a whole lot to somebody that says, just sell the farm. Just sell the farm. I ain't selling. I ain't selling the farm. This farm is not for sale. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lord, have mercy. This was Grandpa's farm. It's going to be my grandbaby's farm. I ain't selling out. Where I'm still living the way my past. 
me to live. And so if I'm holier than thou, it's only because you ain't holy anymore. Quit picking on me, you devil. This is hard, but I'm going to live for God anyway. This is not my problem. It's your problem. I'm still where God put me. I'm still where God put me. You're the one that moved. This is God's fault. Oh, you better watch them saints down there in McMinnville. They all walk around with their nose in there. They're so pharisaical. You better watch them. They got that nasty spirit. They ought to love, show some mercy and compassion to these poor Trinitarians. How many ex-Baptists do we have in here tonight? Raise your hand. Ex-Baptist, raise your hand. Ex-Presbyterian. Methodist. Catholic. Lutheran. What do you mean love them? We loved them, and now they got truth. We love them. The only way you love them is to show them truth.
In Matthew 25, Mark 13, and Luke 19, there are parables about one taking a journey to a far country, coming back to see how well stewardship was implemented. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. God gave us this truth. Proverbs 23 and 23 simply says, Buy the truth and sell it not. There is no sale for truth. You don't sell truth. You obtain the pearl of great price and the treasure hid in a field and you never sell it. You sell everything else to obtain it and then you never sell it. And the reason why I'm not going to sell it, it costs me everything. It costs me everything. It's cost me everything. It's precious to me. And it is not for sale. You can mark it down. It didn't cost them near enough or they wouldn't be selling it. It didn't cost them near enough. They have no revelation of the cross. They have no revelation of Gethsemane. They have no revelation of what it cost Jesus Christ to put this in our hands. He who is rich came forth that through his poverty we might become rich. He said it is enough for the servant to be as his master. Who are these egotistical, self-edifying people that will sell Calvary? Blood. But God, His identity. How do you sell the identity? probably won't get invited, but I'd sure love to go. I'd just about give one of my fingers to go some places to preach. I could probably live without that one. It'd just be worth having the opportunity to stand for God. Oh, mercy. 1 Corinthians, get it from chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, verse 1. Read, brother. Read, read. Does this work? I, I want to, I don't, 
there's no way I'm going to finish this message, but I, I do want to preach a little bit more about what I'm preaching on. 1 Corinthians, uh, just light up a mic here, sound man. And we'll be For I know nothing by myself. Uh-huh. First Corinthians four, verse one. Let a man so account of us Let a man as of so the ministers of Christ, as the ministers of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Oh. Moreover, it is required in stewards yes. that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment yea I judge not mine own self for I know nothing by myself yet am I not hereby justified but he that judgeth me is the Lord and he sees all of us therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Go on, read verse and these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sake. Listen. That ye might learn in, in us not to think of men above that which is written. And that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? What do you mean you have this profound ministry? And God called you to to reach these masses. And so uh, you've had to leave the fundamental truths. Read, brother. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? What do you think you have something? Now what, do thou... you ha- what do you have that you did not receive? You were pulled out of the filth and the rubble. Somebody preached to you. Somebody pulled you out of the gutter with Acts 2.38. John 3 and 5. Somebody preached holiness into your heart. Somebody preach conviction into your spirit. That's the only way you made it to where you are now. What do you think? You got something you didn't receive? What gives you a right to sell out what some old time preacher man was standing and contending for? Or you wouldn't even be here. Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? Why are you as so if thou hast not received it. Caught up in yourself. As though you have the special touch of God. You know, I'm just going to tell you, I, I, I get bothered by these egotistical men that get so big that they have this little monopoly on compromise. I'm not trying to be cocky tonight. I'm telling you, that's the way I perceive this. And then comes this answer, well, you pastor a small church. And uh, 
adjust your pastoral perception when you pastor a large church like mine. Uh, some, some people just aren't qualified to pastor. Let me tell you, I know of one that's qualified. And he fed the 5,000 just like he fed the twelve. He told them to sit down. And then he broke the bread. You don't find Jesus panicking, calling up some modern end time evangelist somewhere and some revival team and we're going to turn our Sunday night service into a revival crusade and we've got to have this production and that production and call in the famous singer from across the country and we've got to get the altar workers and, and we've got to get thumbs up uh, workers to know how many got the Holy Ghost when it's all over with and we've got to get hey, oh my God we got 5,000 here what are we going to do not count women oh we're going to have to uh, uh, tear out the walls altars up. Uh, we're going to uh, panic sets in. Oh, we, we've got five. Jesus didn't panic. He looked at the 5,000 as if it were the 12. Tell them to sit down. And then he broke the bread. And then he fed them. And I'm going to tell you, that's exactly the way God does it. He doesn't panic if it's one at Jacob's well, or if it's 5,000 in the wilderness, or if it's an upper room of 120, He's going to feed them all, and He's going to preach truth, and He's going to do His job. And, it, and I'm telling you, we don't have a monopoly on God. Now, uh, the Apostle says in verse 8, Go ahead, Now ye are full. Listen. Now ye are rich. Yes. Ye have reigned as kings without us. I'm not trying to condemn you. And I would to God she did reign. I want you to reign. That we also might reign with you. I wish we could reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak. Weak. But ye are strong. Ye are honorable. But we are despised. Even now unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked. Can you imagine the preachers that brought us this doctrine? Whose names are eternally memorialized on the foundations of heaven's foundations. Their names are there. They were writing hungry, thirsty, even to this present hour, we're hungry. He wrote Philippians from an old, dirty, filthy prison cell with his own dung and urine on the floor or on the ground and wrote this, I would not that ye should... uh, uh, I, I want you to understand the things that have fallen out have fallen out rather for the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds are manifest in the palace and all other places. He was riding from a prison cell. And he wanted them to know that I know that this will turn to my salvation. Who 
your prayers and the supply of the Spirit. He told Timothy to bring his cloak, especially the parchments. Please hurry before winter because the cold's going to come in. I'm writing unto you, hungry. I could read to you where he was beaten with rods, beaten, whipped, stripes, in a prison cell at midnight, singing praises to God with blood running down his back. Jesus said, it is enough for the servant to be as his master. Jesus said, it is enough for the servant to be as his master. What gives you this corner on this new gospel that you can change the truth and leave the message it's enough. Jesus was a man of sorrows, the Bible said. Acquainted with grief. It's enough for you to be as. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call the children? It's enough for you. And Paul took it in stride. It was enough for him. Listen to what he says. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst. thirst. And are naked. We're naked. And are buffeted. We're buffeted. And we have no certain, no dwelling, certain place. dwelling place. And labor. Labor. Working with our hands. Working with our hands. Being reviled. Being reviled. We bless. We bless. Being persecuted. Being persecuted. We suffer. We suffer. Being defamed. Being defamed. We entreat. We entreat. We are made we are as made a filth of the world. As the filth of the world. And are the offscouring uh, of all things. I write not these things I'm not to shame this you. young people. You're dressed in good clothes. You look good. You got the best clothes on your back. The best shoes on your feet. You all came to church in an automobile, air conditioned. You're sitting in a sanctuary. But I'm not writing this to shame you. But as my beloved sons, I warn you. I want to warn you. much I can preach here. I know the hour's getting late. Let me just jump to one more. Acts 20 and verse number 22. Acts 20 verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that befall me there. Listen to me, church. The Apostle There was a prophet that threw down a girdle on a leather strap. Said the man that owns this is going to be bound. He's going to lose his life for this stuff. They wept. They wept over it. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel that I may preach in the regions beyond. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Unto me is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. And he writes, 
in captivity. And behold, now I go bound in the Spirit. Read. Behold, now I go bound in the Spirit in Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me. I don't know what lies ahead. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Yes. But none of these things move. Oh, that's my Neither count I my life dear unto my hero. Get your eyes off the raiders. Get them on Apostle Paul. He's my hero. But none of these things move me. Read that again. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord he knew where his Jesus. anointing comes from. Read, brother. To testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how, how that so laboring, ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed oh, with them Jesus. all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. He left them with an inheritance. He said so right there in that part of the passage of Scripture. Let's stand tonight.